your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thanks for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single cent and ensures you never miss another episode. On tonight's show, we have some uh, business to take care of, and notably, it is just around, I would say, 35 or 40 minutes until Winnipeg Jets puck drop, so we are all very eagerly anticipating what should be a fun game against the Anaheim Ducks. But of course, before we get to actual NHL action later, there are some games currently ongoing, and I thought I would check in a little bit, give some thoughts on what I've seen so far. The first game I haven't actually gotten a chance to sit down with, so I'm going to keep those thoughts pretty limited, uh, but I have been following some of the game events on my Twitter. It sounds like Montreal versus Toronto hasn't exactly been a, uh, a wonder show for the Habs. Montreal apparently has resorted to taking lots of point shots and not really looking for a lot of the good cross-slot movement that was more of a hallmark of some of their earlier uh, power plays and stuff over preseason and even last year. So, you know, Montreal... This year, I do kind of think they will take a step back. I think the team has definitely lost a major player in Shea Weber. Now, Weber, of course, he's on the older side and he has declined. I don't think he would have been, like, the world's best defender this year. But in terms of being somebody who can eat up minutes on your top four and provide a big power play presence, well, you know, he actually is very important in that respect. So I do think the Habs are going to have to adjust to life without him because he does provide a booming slap shot on the power play he can be a very physical presence, and at times when he's, you know, fully rested and healthy, he can be one of the better defenders out there. A really good player at boxing out opponents. He uses his frame and size well. He's decently mobile. It's just that he's not really in prime form anymore, so you have to be careful with just how many minutes he gets. The other game that I actually have been able to watch a bit of is Washington versus the Rangers. And this, of course, is a very interesting game for New York because this is uh, Gerard Gallant's first game as head coach. And Gallant, I think, has made some smart changes. Uh, New York is currently getting thrashed 4-0, which might look really poor, but in your first game against you know Washington on the road, it is a little bit much to expect them to not have issues. This is the first time that they've really played together, especially in a meaningful game. They're not starting uh, Shesterkin in net. It's uh, Georgiev, which, you know, Georgiev is all right, but he's not exactly a, a sterling netminder. So you're, you're looking at your backup here. And I think in many ways, New York was probably expecting a, a tough start to the series and, and certainly this season. Washington, every time they play them, it's a very difficult outing. And the Caps, honestly, Washington's playing really great hockey. I think New York has been up-tempo and fast and speedy, but unfortunately for them, they just don't really have the kind of talent and ability to skate with a team like Washington. For Washington's part, they're honestly playing some of the better hockey that I've seen them have over the past couple of uh, couple of months. I know that they are a talented team, and it's obvious that they have a very strong roster. But under Peter Laviolette, I haven't really been super convinced before. He, he for me, is just not quite the world's greatest head coach. 
I think that he has certain abilities to make a team that's maybe talent deficient perform above level in the same way that Paul Maurice can kind of do that with a team, again, that has like really limited scoring talent, but maybe has guys who can defend pretty well. LaViolette is very similarly wired, just in my mind, but, you know, with the Caps, he hasn't really set it off yet. This, however, you know, Washington's actually looking pretty active, very aggressive, very fast, uh, a very good transition game, lots of zone exits. Um, they've actually got an NHL debut goal from Hendricks Lapierre. It's just a really nice vibe night overall, and I think the Caps are, are going to be a tough team this year. I don't think that they're going to have the stamina or firepower to really last deep, deep into the playoffs. I think that they may get through a round or two, but the deeper they go, I, I do think that there are some issues that usually pop up once they um, kind of have a couple of injuries here and there. I start to think this team really struggles to keep up against a team like you know Tampa Bay. I think that's one of the squads that honestly would probably get through the Caps pretty easily. You know, obviously they have beaten Tampa Bay on their way to a cup win before, but, you know, this is a little bit different. This team is a little bit older, uh, certainly wiser, you could say. Uh, that's one way to describe it. But, you know, Washington is going to have to do without Nick Backstrom, at least for the part, the first part of the season. So I'm curious to see how they manage against some of these top teams. You know, what are they going to look like against Tampa Bay? I know Tampa just lost to Pittsburgh, but, you know, you would expect them to recover. And uh, as good as Washington is, I just feel like eventually LaViolette's tactics and systems kind of get to this uh, more boring state. So, yeah, I'm interested to track their progress throughout the year. I think that they can be a really good team, but it remains to be seen if they can hang with, like, the really big kids and kind of go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Not that they, they are really poised to, to fail or anything. I'm just a little bit suspicious in, like, a playoff sequence. I think that this team maybe has a couple of deficiencies that, I, I don't know, it just feels a little bit suspicious for me. So... I think that that's been a trend in previous seasons with this team. I still hold to that so far. Um, and until they kind of prove me otherwise, I think I'm going to keep that assessment for now. The The Rangers definitely look like a team that's trying to gel and work on things. I'm not going to read too much into their first game. It is the first time that a lot of these guys have really gotten into a, a major matchup together. So, you know, we'll see how they do. I think a lot might be a good fit for this coaching staff and certainly for this team and roster. If they can be fast and aggressive and loose, I think that would be the most optimal outcome just because, you know, they're not really built to defend deep. They need to be aggressive up the ice, working on rapid counters and trying to uh, create odd man situations. If they could do that kind of stuff, I think they'll be fun to watch, even if they might be really flawed. There are actually some Central Division and Pacific Division games that are after Winnipeg and Anaheim. They'll be occurring around the same time, and I'll give some thoughts on those games tomorrow and, and maybe some insights into the scores and what I could see shaking out for each of these teams throughout the rest of the year. But for now, it is finally time to pivot towards Winnipeg versus Anaheim. It is Cole Perfetti's NHL debut, and if you ask me, I literally could not be more excited. We'll check in on the first couple of periods of Jets action in just a moment. But before we go too much further, I thought you should hear about why Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. Are you someone who loves protein bars? Are you tired of all of your favorite protein bars tasting like ash and dirt? Maybe you're ready for a change. And as a fellow protein bar appreciator, I can tell you that Built Bar is your best alternative. It's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. It comes in several delicious flavors like salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and so many other great flavors. Built Bar often releases very special limited edition, limited quantity flavors that once they're gone, they're gone for good, 
So stay tuned to their social media platforms and their website to make sure you never miss another flavor. As delicious as Built Bars are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and 17 to 18 grams of protein. Built Bars are perfect for every lifestyle, whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight. Placing your order couldn't be easier. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Built.com. Place your order today for the best tasting protein bar on the market. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. We've just wrapped up a first period of Winnipeg hockey, the start of the Jets season, and uh, yeah, uh, I <laughs> let's just say it could have gone better. Winnipeg is currently down 2 nothing to the Ducks, and while the shot clock certainly will look favorable to Winnipeg, Let's be honest, if you actually watched this game, you saw that Winnipeg really didn't attack the slot. All of the the shot opportunities were point shots, perimeter shots, stuff off the rush from really sharp angles. Um, Winnipeg really didn't get much dangerous down in front of Gibson, which is kind of a, a must if you're going to play one of the best American goaltenders in the NHL, not named Hellebuck. I know Gibson's star may have faded over the past couple of years, in part because he's playing behind such a poor Anaheim defense, but make no mistake, Gibson can still rob you repeatedly, and I think tonight he showed why his technicals are so sound, why he's so hard to beat, and why the Jets really needed to alter their approach, especially after the first 20 minutes. I feel like that opening period just wasn't really what I was hoping for in terms of Winnipeg's aggression, um, certainly some of the defensive issues that they had. A lot of the time, you know, Winnipeg's D were caught uh, maybe being too aggressive while the forwards didn't really have much chemistry uh, and communication with their blue line partners. And so the D were basically pushing really aggressively higher up the ice. And, you know, the forwards who should be supporting weren't really providing that linking and defensive work. So, you know, Anaheim was able to get a couple of really good rush chances. It created chaos in the slot and Hellebuck kind of gave up a couple of softies. The first goal against was especially bad because it was the first shot from Anaheim, and it was from, like, basically the wall on the right side. And I'm not really sure if Hellebuck just didn't see it behind a couple of bodies, but he got caught maybe leaning a bit. Kevin Shattenkirk took a shot from distance from the wall. It goes in, and just like that, the Jets are suddenly down one nothing. And then later in the period, of course, another rapid counter, uh, more Basically, chaos in, in the low slot area right in front of Hellebuck. Brendan Dillon chasing back, caught out of position. And then there's a soft rebound from Helly that falls to Mason McTavish. McTavish puts it home, and then the Jets are now down a pair of goals with uh, not really much else to show for it. You know, it, it felt like Anaheim really didn't get much on that. In fact, they only had a couple of shots in the period, six total, and two of them went in. The, one of the shots that they did have was really dangerous, probably one of the you know most dangerous shots that wasn't actually a goal. This one, basically a goal line stop thanks to Connor Hellebuck's left pad, and then right after they shanked something over the net, which you know was a pretty good rebound opportunity for somebody to scoop up and score, but somehow Winnipeg kind of lucked out, and you know I just wasn't really feeling the way that the Jets were going here. I thought that Ehlers was fine, I thought Perfetti looked good, Pionk was all right, um, Harkins was making a, a couple of really decent moves, but overall the rest of the team just not really impressed. Uh, the guy that I thought really struggled the most had to be Blake Wheeler. You know, the captain, I know that he is getting older and, and that he's struggling to keep up, but this was honestly one of his worst periods of hockey in a long time. 
he basically killed any sort of offensive zone possession. His shooting wasn't exactly the sort of positioning and, and release points that we were looking for. And then they put him on the left circle in the in the power play unit for some reason. That used to be Line's office, and that went about as well as you would expect. Um, and, and so the Jets' power plays were just really poor, in my opinion. In general, I, I felt like that first period was poor. You know, Anaheim is a bad, bad team, and the Jets were making them look dangerous. So, you know, I, I understand that Winnipeg won't have a shutout every game, but if you're getting outworked in the corners and struggling to contend with a rush encounter that's really not much more than an AHL team, I'm just not really sure what Winnipeg's changes and adjustments are going to be in order for them to get back into this game. Usually when Maurice makes changes, it's to become more defensive, more conservative, and that's where they get into to serious trouble. Because then they just stop creating, period. I, I know that Winnipeg wants to let the D roam free, but you have to have some sort of coordinated schema with your forwards as well. And I feel like the linking play just really wasn't there. There were a couple of really good sequences, but I think a lot of it came from like when Schmidt was on the ice with, say, like Perfetti's line or something. Um, Perfetti's unit in general just seemed really effective. I thought Cole himself had some really good passes, but other than that, it was just a really lackluster first period. I I know that the Jets are, are coming off of a pretty chaotic offseason, and a lot's been changing for teams all over the NHL, but if you're coming into Anaheim and you want to have a statement game, this isn't the statement you want to make. So I was hoping, you know, next couple of periods, Winnipeg would start to round into form. I don't know if the Jets are going to be capable of uh, piercing that slot area and starting to attack Gibson directly. If they can't get that done, they're going to really struggle to get anything going because looking for just deflections or point shots that somehow squeak through is not exactly the kind of game plan I'd be looking for here. The Jets have all the ability and skill to attack the low slot area with plenty of good passers and good shooters, so I'm kind of wondering why they actually haven't done so yet. Trying to do the stuff off the rush from sharp angles doesn't really cut it for me, so we'll see if the Jets claw themselves back into this one. It's not like a 2-0 deficit is impossible. We've seen the Jets come back from worse, but, you know, against Anaheim, where they really weren't all that dangerous despite outshooting them like 15-6 to in the first period, it just didn't really feel like Winnipeg was all that dangerous. Hoping for a change in the next period, and we'll see what they do in just a little bit. But before we move on, I thought you should hear a little bit about why BetOnline.ag should be the only place to do your online betting. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Into another sport? No problem. BetOnline has your back with European football, soccer, NASCAR, MLS, MLB, NBA, every kind of sport imaginable is at your fingertips. Go to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From all your favorite sports right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the safest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. So start your winning path today. Sign up for a free account at betonline.ag and don't forget promo code LOCKEDON at registration. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are taking a look at some early insights into Winnipeg versus Anaheim. And of course, after a disappointing first period, you were kind of hoping that the Jets would have a major response in the second period. 
And uh, honestly, Winnipeg did kind of, at least after the first couple of minutes. I felt like the first few minutes of the second period were just pretty bad. Winnipeg would hustle up the ice and then immediately get shut down and nullified. And then, you know, Anaheim would have a counter, even if it didn't really have any actual scoring opportunities result out of it. Just keeping the Jets away from Gibson was a big deal. You could see that Winnipeg was trying to find better attacking routes and look for more cross-slot stuff. The one thing that is kind of strange is just how aggressive Winnipeg's defenders were, but it didn't really feel aggression in the way that I like. They kept skating around the walls and dropping below the goal line of the opposing offensive zone, but I don't know if that's really the right call, especially if the Jets aren't in possession. Usually you would have your deactivating and overlapping with your wingers if you've got control and you're actually looking to create different schemes and attack different routes. If you don't really have possession and you're not in control, then it just exposes you to really fast counters. That's part of what got Winnipeg in trouble earlier in the game, and I'm just not really sure that the Jets understand the best way to actually use their offensive D. Schmidt, I thought, was doing pretty okay in some of those activations. I'm just not sure when I see Brendan Dillon or Josh Morrissey dropping that deep if that's really what I'd be wanting from those guys. After some toiling, though, the Jets finally did get a goal thanks to Kyle Connor, who had a very yawning open net thanks to a pretty decent setup from Blake Wheeler. I don't know if Anaheim was on a line change or something, but their personnel got caught out of position and it created a bit of a triangle for the Jets to exploit space. And Wheeler, if you actually give him time to pass, he will usually make it. And this time he didn't miss, which is a big deal because the rest of the game had been up to that point pretty rough for him. And then even after that goal... Wheeler was definitely struggling to keep up, and like I hate to say it, but it's just, you can kind of tell that Blake is really not equipped to handle even strength play, especially getting 20 plus minutes a night. If you give him like a third line role, I think that would actually work a lot better, but as it is right now, it's just, uh, it's just not working out. Winnipeg then had some really good high danger chances later in the period, and one of them actually got robbed by Gibson thanks to a sprawling save. Cop had an open net that he thought he was just going to be able to tuck the puck home, and somehow it ended up uh, getting deflected off of Gibson's left shoulder, which of course you don't want to see. And then, you know, later in the period, even with the, the great chances, the Jets then finally got called for a penalty. They'd been given so many power plays and, you know, didn't really capitalize on any of them. And so the refs were kind of looking for an excuse to ping the Jets. Anaheim finally got a call to go their way, and uh, Adam Henrik ended up scoring on the power play and making it 3-1. I feel like I jinxed this game saying the Jets should comfortably win this because, you know, it just feels like everything has been anything but comfortable. And Winnipeg, I'm just not really impressed by their effort so far. It's been mediocre from pretty much every player on the ice. The only guys that I've really been consistently impressed with are players like Perfetti. I thought Cole pretty much every shift looked great. And, uh, you know, he just seems to be a true danger man. But then you look at the power play unit and Cole's not on there. Instead, they're doing like these weird galaxy brain formations that don't really make any sense. I swear I saw two defenders out there for at least one power play. Finally, Cole did actually get a, a couple of seconds on the power play. Wasn't really enough, though. He only had like eight total seconds, um, which isn't really enough to make an actual impact. I thought he had some really good plays and setups uh, at even strength, and one of them was a great opportunity to Kyle Connor. I think Perfetti was actually falling down it on his knees and somehow passed it from below the goal line back across the slot to uh, Kyle Connor, who actually could have buried it. But, you know, other than that, it's just been a, a bit of a frustrating game, I would say. And I, I feel like if you're trying to open the, the season on a really good note, this is not what you want to see. I get that there's been a lot of change and certainly some adjustments to systems and stuff, but the Jets are getting outworked by Anaheim and that just can't really happen. 
Hellebuck struggling only made it worse, which, you know, it, it's going to happen from time to time. It's hard to get mad at Hellebuck for, you know, a couple of games here and there where he's going to struggle because he's been so good throughout the past couple of years. And frankly, he's the reason why the Jets usually make the postseason. So, you know, at some point, uh, you know, other players in the Jets are going to have to step up and be the ones to carry the burden and, and really fight for the team. But at least for this game, just wasn't really seeing a lot of it in the first couple of periods. Uh, I'm actually not going to talk about the third period because I wanted to kind of keep things relatively short. I'll talk about the remainder of this game on tomorrow's podcast and give you some overarching thoughts. I think you have a pretty good sense of what's happened so far, but of course, maybe Winnipeg can find a way to get out of this and actually get a, a winner or even a point somewhere. I would take a draw and then like an overtime loss or something. Literally anything would be better than what we're seeing right now. For tonight's podcast, though, that is going to do it. Thanks for making Locked on Winnipeg Jets your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked on Fantasy Hockey. Host Scott Cullen leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.